You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 744 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Friday evening, a little bit earlier than I would normally record because uh, I could record at this point, at this particular time. I was hoping to have the great Robbie Callen back at the end of this week, but we're going to put that on the hold probably for next week. Robbie and I will be talking in the near future, so have no fear for everybody that's reached out to me and asked where part two was. It's coming, I promise. Um, but for today, a solo podcast to end the week and hopefully kick off uh, what should be an interesting weekend of whatever we whatever you have to be doing in your uh, COVID-19 pandemic life. So there is one bit of news that I want to touch on here at the top of the podcast, and then after the break we'll get into uh, the question of which of the Hawks teams was the second best of the 2000s that I sort of alluded to on the last pod, so we'll get into that in a moment. But before we get to that, um, there was an ESPN story on Friday from Adrian Wojnarowski and Jonathan Gavoni, um, basically talking about moving the draft. Um, and I will say, before I even read the details here, um, this is something that's been widely speculated on, and I've kind of assumed for a long while now that the draft would not be taking place on its scheduled night. Um, you know, between the lottery, probably moving at some point just because of logistics, it was scheduled for, mid- for mid-May, of course, as always, and then the draft being scheduled for late June. You know, no one that I have talked to even before this was assuming that the draft would actually take place at that point. And I'm sure I've even alluded to it on the pod, just not knowing when the draft's going to be. But this report came out, and I'm going to read the uh, the money the money quote to you. And it says, "Quote: Many NBA teams are united in hopes of encouraging the league office to push the date of the draft from from June 25th to no sooner than August 1st." End quote. So. Again, widely assumed here, and even that August 1st date would be quite flexible, according to the reporting, which makes a lot of sense here. Um, There is a note in that reporting that I I don't really think is important, but I'm sure NBA teams do, and that is uh, salvaging the pre-draft process. I know a lot of NBA teams do not love the idea of not being able to hold personal workouts, all that fun stuff. I do think that's less important. I know why they want that, and if I was an NBA GM or front office person, I would certainly want that as well. But in terms of the overall health of the league, that's probably a secondary concern for me, frankly, but at the same time, I totally get it. And the big thing for me that I've even said before on the pod, I think, and at least on Twitter, is that I can't imagine the NBA having the draft before the season is uh, over. And I know there is a possibility that the season just never returns. I'm well aware of that, so don't tell me that. I promise I get it. But because they don't want to cancel the season at this point in time, they're going to hold out hope as long as they possibly can. And you can't have the season restart in June or July and have the draft before that happens or during while that happens because that if you do that yes the teams could make selections it would be possible in theory to do that but you couldn't make trades you wouldn't know anything about the way the season ended injuries etc cetera, etc cetera. It, it just makes a lot more sense to have the draft during the offseason than it does actually during play that's the biggest reason why i've been assuming for a long time that they were going to move the draft because if they restart the season at any point um, they're either going to be still playing at that point or not having started playing yet at that point. So one of those two things, you just can't have the draft on its scheduled date of June 25th. Now, it's important to note that it's not official at this point in time. Uh, this is a, this is a proposal, but when you're talking about many NBA teams and this leaking to ESPN in this way, I think it is just common sense, honestly, that they're going to be moving this um, at some point. And, you know, if they don't have 
the season, if they were, you know, in mid-May to say, look, the season's, we're, we're getting too late here. Maybe we'll cancel the season now and never do this. Could you have the draft at that point? Yes. But then would you already have the lottery? That's the question that I'm not sure how they're going to do the lottery. I'm sure, um, you know, they're probably going to just go with what they have now in terms of the uh, reverse stand, but it, you have to have a lottery at some point. So there's that factor. Um, a lot of moving parts. Regardless, though, I think uh, I would certainly bet against the draft happening on its scheduled date. It's more likely to me if they were to cancel the season that it would stay there. But even then, you know, what would be the rush at that point in time, um, et cetera, et cetera. So lots of moving parts. But the other thing I wanted to point out about this is, uh, you know, Bobby Marks of ESPN tweeted this out. And it's something that I've heard a lot as well about sort of what, what a schedule could look like. And, I get, and I'm, I'm going to stress could because this is a best case scenario kind of thing where Everything goes according to plan, which I'm not willing to bet on or put my name to. But if you want to be as optimistic as possible, the schedule probably would have to look something like this. Um, it would be a uh, the playoffs starting sometime in July at this point. I can't imagine them playing much more between you know much before like mid June to late June. So we'll say playoffs July ish, June July to start. Um, the finals in August sometime, mid-August is what Bobby had to say. Um, at the end of August, sort of you know, two months delayed would be the draft. Um, after the finals is over, right after that in the normal order, then free agency September 1st. Um, if you wanted to do a summer league, and that's that's another thing that I, I was asked about today and after this report was like, what, what about summer league? I, you know, For me, summer league is a cool thing. I love covering it. I think it does. Um, it is a good thing for the NBA to do. With that said, it can't be a big priority right now, and I think, you know, we'll see how the whole thing works, but if they had to not have Summer League, that's a sacrifice that the league has to be willing to make. Um, it does make some money for them, and there's, it's a good, uh, I would say, evaluation opportunity, but in terms of the schedule itself, that is by far the most malleable event. You don't have to have Summer League. Um, you know, it would be nice to have it, but if you had to do that in this hypothetical, you'd have that in September, and then you have to give uh, the rest of the teams basically off until December, and then you go back to the Christmas idea, which Steve Coonan talked about forever, et cetera, et cetera. So the offseason would basically shift to, you know, September through mid-December um, versus, you know, June to, you know, mid-October or so, you know, early October. All that stuff, or mid-September. Regardless, You'd be pushing back about two months from where the normal calendar is, um, and I get that. If you want to be optimistic, I totally understand that. And you know, and another thing that has to be pointed out as well is that they, they don't want to impact revenue for the 2021 season, which I totally understand as well. So at some point, there's probably a calculus where that that flips over. But you know, regardless, the draft is the headliner in terms of the reporting that came out today, and I wanted to address it here. You know, my big takeaway is that no one knows anything. That's kind of what I've been saying about all this stuff, but the draft being on June 25th would certainly surprise me, and that is the gist of the reporting that came out on Friday. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast, here's a word from the good folks at MyBookie. Sports have come to screeching halt with basketball bench and pitchers off the mound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let you get down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out or self-quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. They've also got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables Live on site, 24-7. If your favorite squad is sidelined because of the pandemic, don't even sweat it. MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2K20+. Plus, you can always do your part to expand your bankroll by taking advantage of the shifting odds on political bets. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first deposit. That's 
promo code locked on MBA for a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit. You claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use the promo code locked on MBA to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on MBA. You play, you spin, you win, and you get paid. All right, and we'll talk about everything else now on the podcast, which comes down to uh, basically what I teased earlier in the week about there basically being three contenders for the second best team of the twenty of the 2000s or, or the 2010s, the last 20 years, basically the new millennium of Hawks basketball. I think the very, very clear choice for number one on this list is 2014-15, which Robbie and I discussed on uh, Monday's podcast, then I fo- sort of followed up with more details. So if you missed those podcasts, go back and listen to those. But that's number one by a wide margin. From there, there are three contenders for me for the second best team, um, all of which we'll, we'll probably talk about with Robbie again, but I wanted to give you the uh, sort of the nuts and bolts here. There's the uh, 20, 2009-10 team that had the best record of the bunch at 53 wins. There's the 2011-12 team, which was the lockout season. They had the second best winning percentage that year at 40 and 26. And then there's the 2015-16 team the year after the 61 season where they had lost Damari Carroll, but they were still uh, pretty darn good that season and they actually underperformed their point differential and that was an effective basketball team. So we'll go through those three quickly to sort of uh, decipher what could have been the arguments on, on all sides. The 2009-10 team was a long time ago. I know there's a lot of probably younger Hawks fans that don't remember a whole lot about that team, but they were a uh, 53-win team with a 54-win point differential, so they were actually quite good. They were fifth in the NBA in net rating, so uh, you know the borderline conference finals quality on that. They were second in the NBA in offensive rating, which is a long time ago, but still, and so the offensive environment was not quite the same as, as it is now, but that, that was a very, very good offensive basketball team. They had Joe Johnson, they had Josh Smith, Al Horford, Marvin Williams, all those guys, um, you know, near their primes in certain ways, young, young primes for Al and Marvin, and then Joe and Josh were kind of right in the middle of their runs. Jamal Crawford had arguably his best season of his career, um, certainly one of his best seasons of his career that season, averaging 18 points a game off the bench and having uh, 57% true shooting. And for Jamal, that was not always uh, his strong suit in terms of efficiency. He's obviously been able to score his entire career, but he was actually quite efficient and effective that year, and he was a big part of the offense being as good as it was. Mike Bibby was actually just okay probably that year as the point guard, but shot the ball well from three, 39% from three. They had Jeff Teague as a rookie. As the backup, you're talking about Mo Evans was actually pretty solid off the bench. Zaza Pachulia in a small role as a backup center. That was a very effective team that was definitely offensive um, reliant. At the same time, though, a pretty good basketball team. And again, the best record of the entire run. They did win a playoff series. They actually got smoked in round two. They beat Milwaukee in round one. They actually lost in four to the Dwight Howard Orlando team. Um, they actually lost game one by 43 points in Orlando. That's, that was sort of one of those low lights. If you're a Hawks fan, that you remember that very well. They also got smoked in game three at home. And uh, by the way, Dwight Howard shot 84% from the floor in that series, which is pretty crazy. But, um, you know, regular season-wise... It was the best record of that bunch, and uh, definitely a good basketball team that has lots of uh, strengths to certainly lean on when making the argument that they were the best team of the run. Uh, 2011-12, obviously a weird year. Lockout season, they didn't start the season until quite late. Um, Played 66 games, as everybody did that year. They were 40 and 26. They actually were a little bit better than that, point differential-wise, at 41 and 25 in terms of the the Pythagorean win total. But they were sixth in net rating. A pretty good basketball team, obviously, here. And uh, for me, this is the ace in the hole with that team. Al Horford, who was in his prime at that point, played 11 games that season. 
and the Hawks were still they were still able to post their um, second best winning percentage of this of this bunch, third best of the entire uh, 2000s, um, without you know one of their best players for both basically the entire season. I'll play the first 11 games and then missed the last 55 games. Um, the Hawks actually had a plus 8.3 net rating when Al played that year. Pretty small sample size, but still that team would have been even better. If Al had played, he was the best big man on the roster, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, just to refresh your memory, this was still Joe Johnson um, leading the way here for Atlanta. But it was Jeff Teague's first year as a starter at point guard. It was the last year on the roster for both Joe Johnson and Marvin Williams. Both guys left um, following that following that season, either trade or free agency. Um, and the only real time that uh, it was Jeff Teague, Joe Johnson, Marvin Williams, Josh Smith, and Al Horford. So uh, pre-Paul Millsap, but that was a heck of a starting five that season. They were very, very good. Um, Willie Green was awesome off the bench, um, shooting 44, 44% from three. Um, Kirk Heinrich as a third guard actually was quite good in that role for Atlanta that year. You had Ivan Johnson at his best. You had Vlad, Vladimir Radmanovich was actually pretty decent that year. And uh, Tracy McGrady, old Tracy McGrady, but actually pretty effective. Um, didn't play a ton for the Hawks, but actually was pretty decent. And they were uh, fifth in the NBA in three-point percentage that year. Um, so all that to say, this is a very good basketball team, even before you realize that Al didn't really play at all that year. If he had, been, if he had played, you could certainly argue this was sort of the lost year for Atlanta. If you're, you know, I've, I've mentioned this a little bit on Twitter in the past, um, but, you know, if you want to get crazy about picturing a team that could have made a run, it could have been that team had, had Al been able to be healthy that year. That you sort of squint and make that case to be sure. They lost in the first round, though, of the playoffs. Um, context also important here. Um, they lost game two at home. They, they lost to Boston. That was a good Boston team, um, quite obviously. And then Boston lost to LeBron and Miami in, in seven games in the conference finals. So no real shame losing. I know it's a first round loss, quote unquote, but that was to the Celtics team that had you know lots of Hall of Famers on it. Um, and by the way, again, just, just from, for some more context here, Al Horford got hurt on January 11th, and he did not play at all. He came back. Ice cold. He had not played in uh, you know almost five months, four months, whatever. However, you want to talk about that. Um, came back and played Game Four <laughs> with no like no ease in process. Played Game Four of the playoff series, so didn't play. Missed 58 consecutive games when you factor in the playoffs, and then suddenly it suddenly just came back in Game Four of the playoffs. A pretty cra- a pretty crazy situation there for a young player. Regardless, though, I know it's a first round loss, but uh, given who they lost to, a good Boston team, and the fact that they would have been probably higher seeded than that. Um, you could certainly talk me into uh, them being a conference finals type of team. They would not have beaten LeBron and Dwayne Wade in Miami that year. I'm not saying they would have, but they certainly would have had a uh, pretty clear path. I think they probably would have been the two seed had they, maybe the, uh, sorry, the three seed, because actually the Bulls were the number one seed that year um, with Derrick Rose. But uh, I think they would probably would have, would have been comfortably the three seed that season had they actually had Al all season long, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, good basketball team, very weird year, and uh, they definitely have the, some arguments in their favor in this particular argument. Uh, the last contender of the three is 2015-16. They, had the third best, they actually had the uh, worst record of these three teams, and they actually underperformed their point differential. If you want to go by that, they, actually, they were actually a 51-win team, so a little bit better than you might have remembered that team being. They were seventh in net rating. They were actually second in defense that year. They were quite good defensively. Not a big surprise with Paul Millsap and Al Horford in the mix, but they were 20th in offense. So basically, they were awesome. On defense, as we talked about a lot with Rabia and I'm on my last solo show as well, the previous year, they were absolutely elite defensively. That continued in the following season. They just kind of stopped scoring at the same rate. 20th in offense is pretty bad. Now, they, they did return 
pretty much the entire team from 14 15 except for Damari Carroll. So Damari was quite good. He was quite useful. Um, that resulted him resulting uh, him leaving. Sorry, resulted resulted in more Kat Bazemore, more Tabo Cephalosha, also more Dennis Schroeder that year um, as a uh, more prominent backup to Jeff Teague in his final season with the Hawks. They actually had Tiago Splitter and a. Uh, I would say now infamous trade. Splitter, when he actually played, was quite good. He had the best net rating on the team that year at plus 8.3, but he was always hurt, and that was kind of the story of him in Atlanta in general. Um, and he sort of replaced Pero Antic and Elton Brand, at least in theory, but only, only played 36 games, not, not a lot there. And the other big move that, that, that they made was Tim Hardaway Jr., um, trading the 15th pick in that draft for Tim Hardaway Jr., but he actually DNP'd early in that year, which was kind of controversial and funny to remember in hindsight, and he was not fantastic off the bench. Uh, Kyle Korver was still good, not as good as the previous year. Uh, Jeff Teague was, again, still good, not as good as the previous year. I think Al Horford and Paul Millsap were both quite good still. Um, Al started shooting threes that year for the first time, really. Um, I did kind of famously call for them to trade um, Al Horford and or Jeff Teague because of the fact that we all saw this coming um, before that summer when uh, you kind of talked about like what was going to happen there. They had to make some decisions that ultimately ultimately led to the controversial slash bad choice to um, not pay Al and then sign Dwight Howard which I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but basically this was the first of those moves where the Hawks just didn't get anything in return for for their really good players hitting free agency. Um, Al Horford was going to hit free agency, and if they weren't going to pay him, trading him would have been a good idea probably. But uh, regardless, this was his last year. And then Jeff, um, to their credit, they, they did get a lottery pick for Jeff Teague they, in that summer, was uh, which turned out to be Torian Prince, was actually a pretty good transaction for the Hawks for one year of Jeff Teague. But regardless, they uh, were, not, were not proactive because they thought they were going to be pretty good. And honestly, that was a good basketball team. It wasn't like they were going to win the title, and we kind of knew that, which is kind of the reason why I was trying to have them be forward-facing a little bit at that point in time. And it was I was much younger then and probably a little bit more blunt than I am now at times. But that was still a good basketball team. At, at the end of the day, they were better than their record probably indicated, and they were pretty dangerous if they could actually make shots. They just kind of didn't. Um, they actually did win a playoff series. They beat the uh, Isaiah Thomas, Evan Turner-led Celtics in six games, but then, of course, they ran into LeBron in uh, the semifinals of the Eastern Conference and uh, lost in four again because LeBron never lost ever to the Hawks. Uh, and by the way, I, when I say lost, I mean not even like a game. He always swept the Hawks. Um, regardless, that was a good basketball team. And, uh, you know, if it's my personal rankings here, people would definitely, uh, I would say, argue with me, I'm sure. I would tell you that I believe with my whole heart that the second best team of this run was a, was the 11-12 season, um, especially if they had Al Horford. Now, what they actually accomplished, you could certainly argue for, I would say, either either of the other two teams because of the fact that, you know, 0-9-10, they did win a playoff series in that season. Now, they had an embarrassing, like, you know, both of the other teams had embarrassing second-round losses, getting smoked in four games, whereas 11-12 lost in the first round, but they lost in competitive fashion to a very good basketball team. So, I don't know. I would probably tell you that upside-wise, in particular, that 11-12 team was my, is my pick for this, but I'm not terribly convinced by that. You know, 14-15 is in its own tier, and then these three teams are kind of in their own tier as well. There's a couple other teams that are certainly were good during the Joe Johnson era, um, but uh, yeah. These are three contenders. Give me some feedback if you wanted to uh, weigh in on uh, which, which was your favorite. I look back with, with the most fondness to 11 and 12 because of that weirdness uh, kind of uh, gravitated toward that team. And again, it was the only time that you kind of combined the two eras together with uh, having Jeff Teague's first prominent season with Joe Johnson, with Marvin Williams, with Josh Smith, with Al Horford. It was pre-Millsap, I understand that, but uh, that, was a very, that was a very good basketball team, especially when Al was uh, available to play. So 
Anyway, that'll do it for today's podcast. There's plenty of information, as I'm sure I got to on that on this particular show. But I plan I actually have a couple a couple more guests lined up. We'll have Ben Ladner returning hopefully in the future in the near future with the uh, I would say the third installment of five when it comes to reviewing the players and the roster for this season and looking ahead to the future a little bit on those podcasts. Robbie Callen coming back. Lots of NBA draft content. Please take the time to subscribe and tell a friend about the show. I uh, really appreciate everybody still supporting the podcast. I know everybody's kind of in this weird state right now, but if you like to listen to talk about basketball that's something we do on this pod so hopefully you enjoy that and uh, if nothing else enjoy your enjoy your weekend to the best of your ability and we'll see everybody next week